the real thing that makes launches successful isn't what did you do? It's not where did you go promote yourself? What budget did you spend? Like any of that stuff. And there's a bunch of research that, that, that supports that. It really comes down to did you identify the right audience? Did you find a message that resonates with that audience? Welcome back to Product Market Fit, a podcast about startup growth for early stage founders and operators. I'm your host, Moshe Poltrak, and I'm excited to share my interview with Derek Osgood, founder and CEO of Ignition. Ignition is an all-in-one platform designed for organizing launches. Prior to starting Ignition, Derek has held several product management and product marketing leadership roles at the likes of Rippling, BBVA, and PlayStation, to name a few. In today's discussion, Derek shares the keys to a successful launch, Ignition's experience launching on Product Hunt and AppSumo, why Apple is so successful with their launches, and much more. So stay tuned. My goal with this podcast is to share practical knowledge with startup founders and growth practitioners. If you enjoy this episode, I would greatly appreciate it if you'd leave a rating in Apple Podcasts or share it on social media so others like you can find us. And please do reach out to me with your feedback. I always love to hear from you and can be reached at hello at pmfpod.com or on LinkedIn or Twitter. And don't forget to bookmark or subscribe to the show so you get notified when we release new episodes. Upcoming, we'll have a special episode on PR for startups and interviews with Adam Nash of Daffy, Tony Beltramelli of Wizard, an early stage investor and former chief product officer at Slack, April Underwood. The Product Market Fit podcast is brought to you by Growth.co. That's growth without the O.co. Growth offers fractional CMOs paired with best in class digital marketing execution to support early stage startup success. With a focus on seed and Series A companies, Growth has helped a number of SaaS, digital health, and e commerce startups build their go to market function and scale up. To learn more and book a free consultation, go to Growth.co. That's G R W T H dot C O. Now on with our show, I present Derek Osgood, founder and CEO of Ignition. Hello, Derek. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you on today. Yeah, so pumped to be here. This is going to be a fun chat. I'm really looking forward. Awesome. So let's jump right in. What is Ignition and who do you serve? Uh, We call ourselves a go-to-market operations platform. Um, Basically, what we are is a platform for launching stuff and for helping product marketing teams to better drive a commercialization process. So... What that looks like is, you know, we're kind of rolling together tools for conducting research at the competitive and customer level up front to inform your go-to-market plans. Then we have roadmapping tools for you to actually manage the build process and figure out how to prioritize features appropriately and what to build and communicate that internally. And then once you're actually in the go-to-market planning process, we help cascade out better plans for you faster with some AI tooling that helps to recommend plans. We'll organize that all in a source of truth that contains documentation, asset management, project management. And then we make it really easy to communicate that all internally and externally to internal teams and customers through a bunch of automation tools for messaging, automating emails, Slack messages, as well as customer comms through release notes pages. So we're basically built to help manage the launch process and all the way from concept through to post-launch. Super cool. I'm very interested, obviously, in the mechanics of launches, and we're going to dive into that and how you built your business as well. But I'm curious, kind of going back to that founding moment of the company, how did you come up with the idea? What was the specific pain point that led you to start Ignition? 
I've been, you know, a product marketer and a product manager kind of throughout my career and also worked with a lot of founders at every one of those stops, whether it was big companies like PlayStation or small startups that were five people or even launching new companies in our accelerator at BBVA. You know, I've had to rebuild the launch process over and over and over again. I've used every tool and template under the sun, and none of them have really ever quite cut it because everybody tries to kind of hack this stuff together in a bunch of docs and project management tools, and they treat their launch kind of like the checklist. But there's a lot more that goes into it than documenting what is actually getting worked on at a given point. Ultimately, you need to go and conduct all this research, and you need to communicate much more effectively internally. And it doesn't work very well when you're fragmenting and creating these information silos across these different tools and docs. And so basically, I just got fed up with like having to stitch all of this together with no dedicated tool built around one of the most fundamental processes in any company. It's like launching new things, whether it's you're launching your company for the first time or you're launching a product or a feature. It's one of the few moments that brings the whole company together that everybody needs to be like a well-oiled machine orchestrated really tightly. And it's one of the few moments that you can really stand out effectively to customers with by capturing their interest for a short period of time with newness that, you know, it felt like it needed some tooling around it. Product marketers also just don't have tools built for them on the whole. So I was frustrated that there wasn't really anything built for me in my role. So it was all just personal pain. So you're not looking to replace every tool that a PM or a product marketer might use. You're focused on the launch, but you're offering some of the ancillary or, or orthogonal pieces to the launch as well, right? So how do you decide what to build in the product, what to integrate? Are there any like competitive where you offer it, but you're integrating with an offering that offers the same thing? Like, how do you balance those? Yeah, so we take a very open approach to this. So, you know, like when we're selling to founders, for example, one of the pain points that they feel with us is they don't have any process in place. They also really badly need product marketing work done, but they can't afford at that stage of the company to be hiring product marketers. So for them, like we'll give them the whole thing out of the box and you can basically run essentially your entire product development through launch process in our platform. But obviously once you start talking about bigger companies and you know we're talking to like product managers or we're talking to product marketers, then they have a bunch of other tools in place. And so we recognize that this is a very cross-functional process that currently spans a lot of different tools. And so we built our platform in a way that you can rip and replace all of it if you want to, or you can modularly rip and replace the parts that you actually feel the most pain around. We have a lot of frenemies out there where you know we feel like we're not directly competitive with really anybody because most products are not really solving for this specific use case directly. But you know we can integrate with almost any of them. So you know we'll integrate with your the tools that your eng team is using to track their build process, like Jira and Linear, and you can pull all that data into the platform and then still get the visibility around it that our product would provide if you were doing your task management directly in Ignition. But then we'll also integrate with roadmapping tools. We'll integrate with other documentation tools. We'll integrate with competitive Intel tools. So our goal is to make it really easy for you to plug our product into your workflow whatever that workflow looks like. Or if you want to start replacing tools, you can, and you then get the benefits of having a consolidated single source of truth that contains all of this tooling and all this information. 
and helps apply a bit more automation to it because all that stuff is directly connected to each other. So, you know, we, we want to be really open. We don't want to force you to lock into our platform and not use whatever else your other teams may need. We have a lot of teams where, you know, you have a design team that's doing all of their tr- project management in Asana. And then the product marketing team is doing the launch planning and ignition. And we'll just bi-directionally sync tasks back and forth. Both teams can live in the tool that they're living in today. And then we can still help drive that process hygiene with our platform. You know, there are some kind of competitors that are solving for bits and pieces of this. Like, obviously, you can go buy Clue or Cran if you want to do competitive Intel, and you can buy Product Board if you want to do road mapping, and you can buy Asana if you want to do project management, and Binder if you want to do asset management. But having all those things be disconnected just ends up causing more inefficiencies. So, our views, you know, you're better off if you can stomach it to roll on as much as possible into our platform. Sure. And I like that flexible approach. You mentioned selling it to startup founders and early stage founders that have smaller teams. Is that your ICP or your ideal customer profile? Or do you have multiple ICPs that you're working with right now, including product managers as well? Yeah, we really have like two main segments. So I would say that our core ICP actually tends to be slightly larger companies, you know, where they're north of say 50 or so people and they're starting to have sales and support and kind of have a higher enablement burden. But the secondary ICP that we have since day one has been founders. And a large part of why we built the platform was because basically a lot of startups, when they're in their early days, they desperately need product marketing help. And they desperately need the hygiene and the rigor that comes with following a real kind of go-to-market process. But they can't afford it. They don't have the time to operationalize that process. And so we have a lot of very small teams that, you know, whether it's a founder that's using us or whether it's like their first product manager hire who is trying to like fulfill the role of a product marketer in their company. I think those are kind of our two main segments. We have one that's like a very down market, small company segment, and then one that's a very up market segment. They're just kind of solving slightly different problems for themselves with the platform. Got it. Where are you guys in terms of your maturity as a company, whatever you're comfortable sharing, you know, other funding, revenue, employee size or whatever? Yeah. So we've been around for about two years. So we formed the company in February of 2021. We've raised a little under $5 million, a bunch of top tier VCs, as well as a lot of operator angels backing us. We're in closed beta for most of 2021. And you know, we've kind of been in market for out of our V1.0 for a couple of months now. So we actually just announced coming out of beta in February of this year. And we've got you know about 1,400 companies on the platform, again, like ranging from tiny little two-person companies where it's just the founders using us all the way up through three, 4,000-person enterprises. We're getting pretty good traction so far and just been kind of working with customers on getting them up to speed and getting things launched. Congrats on launching out of beta. Why don't we use that to transition to talking about launches themselves? What did you do for your launch? You know, how did you orchestrate that? And having 1,400 customers that are using the platform and your own experience before Ignition, I'm sure you have a lot to share on what works well for product launches with software companies, and we can go down the rabbit hole. So it's funny because I feel like a lot of people ask me about, what do you do for your launch to make a launch successful? And I think in many cases... What they're asking is what tactics did you use? Like what channels were you promoting it on? What did you do on those channels in order to make those channels work and, and that sort of thing? And you know, I having come from a product marketing background, much less concerned with the tactical execution and much more with the kind of upfront strategic work, because the real thing that makes launches successful isn't what did you do? 
It's not where did you go promote yourself? What budget did you spend? Like any of that stuff. And there's a bunch of research that, that, that supports that. It really comes down to where you did you identify the right audience? Did you find a message that resonates with that audience? Did you find some way to get that message in front of that audience? And so we spent a lot of time leading into our launch going through that rigor of like building out, you know, real clear pictures of who our persona was, doing message testing with them and identifying what messages actually really resonated and which ones didn't, and then building assets. And we probably spent a lot more time on building out assets that supported that launch than a lot of startups do where they'll just kind of spit out some screenshots and throw it up. We built out some really robust communicative assets for supporting that launch. And you know, when it came down to the tactical execution, then it was kind of just blocking and tackling and just making sure that we publish that stuff in places where our customers could potentially find it. So, you know, we did our 1.0 launch through Product Hunt. We rallied our existing user base. We tapped into them really heavily and told them up front, like, hey, we're launching on the state. We'd love your support. We had a consistent cadence of communication that we had mapped out, you know, a full kind of buyer journey leading into that launch. So we had a consistent drumbeat of communication to those customers, asked them to go support us on launch day. We were promoting ourselves in a variety of different communities as well. So like we're partnered up with Product Marketing Alliance. We did a lot of promotion through their community. They were kind enough to help support us. And Rich, their CEO, was publishing about Ignition when we launched on launch day as well. So you know, we kind of took those consistent assets that we created and went and published wherever we could. We did not approach our launches through the lens of trying to do a lot of like crazy outside the box tactics to drum up reach. We were basically just trying to focus on like, let's get the messaging right, make sure it's communicated the way that we want it to, to the right group of people. And let's just be really focused on where we are going and publishing that message. And a lot of that was just kind of hand-to-hand combat, like direct posting and community channels, making sure that we were everywhere across social media, making sure that we had some lightweight advertising support in place. So we spent a tiny little bit of money just amplifying the message on our LinkedIn posts and boosting those posts so they just got a little bit more reach on launch day. We basically did one launch for our closed beta. Then we actually... This one was less of a marketing launch, but more of a product launch where we shipped a free tool for publishing release notes and change logs to customers and also collecting back product ideas through feature voting boards. And so... We shipped that as a free product, basically as a demand gen tool in September of last year. And then we did our 1.0 launch in Feb of this year. Got it. I did not realize that you were somewhat competitive with the product that we just had on the show last week or the week before. So I'll have to get better about scheduling those out. We're probably like semi-competitive with almost every product under the sun. Like We don't view ourselves as competitive with most products because in reality, like if you want a point solution for the specific problem that you're attacking, like probably they're going to do a slightly better job than we are because that's their entire focus. I'm sure we're probably competitive with a few people that you've had on the show. (laughs) So the the value of Ignition is in the all-in-one suite solution. Yeah. Yeah. We're very much taking a, a bundling approach to this. I came from Rippling previously and Parker is a big proponent of the whole compound startup concept and building multiple different point solutions into, into one you know larger bundle and delivering value through the aggregate um, and you know the efficiencies that are gained by automating across those connected tools. Right. In the age of continuous delivery, though, where engineering teams are shipping product, hopefully on a fairly regular cadence, the 
idea of that big grand launch cycle that we used to have that was maybe every 18 months a long time ago and it kept shrinking. But now dev teams are hopefully releasing daily, if not daily, every sprint. How do you see that balance between product launches versus continuously shipping new features, new value, new products? I get this question a lot, especially from PMs. The reality is the thinking about release and launch is the same thing as where the problem stems from there. Because release is not launch. Like You can go and release a feature to your customer base and they could have been using it for two months. And then you can go out and launch that thing with more of an announcement two months later. Like These two things don't have to be directly coupled and you don't have to necessarily launch on the same day that you release. We're definitely proponents of continuous release cycles and like continuously pushing updates and continuously improving the product, iterating and learning quickly. But if you never do launches, the problem that you have is that nothing becomes a marketable moment. Your customers, they get like basically banner blindness to all of the different messaging that you're doing around those continuous releases, and they start to ignore them. And the reality is like the big benefit of doing these big splashy launches is that they help to draw focus both internally and externally with customers to the thing that you're trying to communicate. And so when there are things that you're shipping that are really important to your company or to your customers, you really need to turn those into more of an event because otherwise nobody's going to pay attention to them. They don't break through all the noise that exists out there in the market. I, I'm a believer that like both of these two things can coexist. And you can also do launches where they're bundling up some of those different releases. Like You can release multiple things, package it up into a broader narrative, and then do a launch around that narrative instead of necessarily around the specific feature that you showed. So what are some common mistakes that you see startups making during a launch or prepping for a launch? So I think to the point that we were just talking about, one of the biggest ones is that they just don't launch. They don't treat launches as an important process for themselves. So it is an incredibly impactful way to get a big burst of new customers. It's an incredibly impactful way to learn quickly on a new feature that you're shipping. So you know, you're not doing it in the first place is one of the mistakes they make. The second issue is treating every launch as the same. A lot of companies, they don't prioritize properly, like which things are tier one launches, tier two launches, tier three launches. Then they're allocating too much time to the little stuff that doesn't matter and not enough time to the big stuff that really does drive the needle. And then I think the last big one that I tend to see really commonly is companies don't you know, beyond just not having rigor around the process and the planning, which is super important, they also don't have enough rigor around internal comps around the launch process. So one or two people will be driving the launch and they'll know what's going on. And then it'll just start showing up in demos that sales teams are doing. And the sales team won't have any idea how to respond to customer questions about it. They won't have any idea how to sell it. They'll be like demotivated to sell it. And so it's incredibly important for you to think about you know, when building out a launch process, not just how are we going to communicate this to customers, but also how are we going to communicate it to the internal team members that are involved in this. And that even goes all the way down to your eng team. When you launch a new thing, it may have knock-on effects on the product over on the other side of the product that, no, that those engineers aren't paying attention to what's being built you know, in whatever feature area that you suddenly ship something in. It'll completely disrupt everything on the product. Like we shipped, you know, for example, an update to the way that we handle editors in the product and the way that we handle people being able to upgrade and downgrade their permissions. 
And it had massive effects on our billing infrastructure because at the time, our billing infrastructure was based on a parameter basis. And the two engineers that were working on those two things didn't know that we were launching this separate thing. And it ended up creating all this issue that we could have easily avoided by just better internal communication around that stuff. Really good points there. And I couldn't agree more on the internal comms, the need for it with any product launch, especially as companies are growing, especially in a remote first company where you don't have that kind of water cooler effect of just knowing via osmosis what's happening around you. So having that internal comms and being specific about what's launching, what's changing, what are some talking points, some frequently asked questions, and all of those specific things that people will need internally. Let's get a little tactical. For an early stage startup, you mentioned that you had launched on Product Hunt three times to be specific. And there are other platforms, AppSumo, Kickstarter, other popular kind of events to launch out would be like an industry conference, whether it's like South by, which is happening now, or TechCrunch Disrupt, or like any of those kind of events. Any thoughts on those type of one-off launches for a company just coming out of stealth mode or trying to announce themselves in the space? Yeah. So I think it, it all comes back to your objectives, right? You know, in our case, we were not trying to go with a big, giant, splashy, like press launch. You know, we weren't quite at the stage where we felt like the onboarding was quite ready to handle the volume of people that would be coming through if we were to go get press. There's times when you don't actually want to do those big, splashy launches. But we really like Product Hunt. It's a really simple way for you to just quickly get in front of a lot of people. It's very dependent on who your audience is. We tend to sell to founders and product managers, which is very much in Product Hunt's wheelhouse. A lot of people go and try and do their launches on Product Hunt when they're targeting like a broader consumer audience or they're targeting, you know, like support people or something that's just totally or orthogonal to who actually hangs out on Product Hunt. In those cases, it's going to be a flop if you go and try and lean on Product Hunt as an announcement channel. I think tools like Kickstarter are great if you're trying to raise money, but they're also good for just quickly getting a lot of consumer interest as well. So you really need to pay attention to who the audience is for each of these different channels because Kickstarter is much more consumer-oriented. Product Hunt is very focused on like startup people and founders and product managers. South by is a combo of investors and press, as well as a very tech-heavy audience. But then you do get a little bit of exposure into broader kind of consumer media as well. It's hard to answer this question as like which one's the right one to use without digging into what your specific objectives of that launch are, as well as what your specific audience looks like. We have used also like AppSumo. We found AppSumo was really good for getting like a very large influx of early users and basically using them for pressure testing that the product was usable and ready. A lot of times you can do these launches where they may not be a launch for your company's broader brand awareness among your audience, but you're just trying to get product feedback and make sure that the product is actually doing the things that you want it to do and it's not breaking once it starts handling higher volume. So that's the, you can do kind of these side launches. And this is a very common practice if you look at, for example, like mobile companies used to be old hat where mobile apps would launch one version of the new update that they were shipping in the Philippines or some other you know country that you know was not their primary market. And they would get a lot of feedback, pressure test it in that market, and then release more broadly globally. So when you think about launches, it's also helpful to think about them not just as, you know, what's your 
singular, how are we making a big splash among our core audience, but also how are we leveraging the ability to get rapid influxes of users, different like configurations to get learnings quickly and feed into that larger launch later. Right. So going back to the goal of what am I trying to accomplish here? Is it to get new users? Is it to generate buzz and PR? AppSumo is an interesting one because there's a lot of eyeballs there. And I'm personally a user on AppSumo. I buy subscriptions there too frequently, but they charge a heck of a lot. Yeah. After we launched there, we kind of got addicted to it ourselves as customers. We're like, oh, there's some great deals here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there, there are if the company ends up sticking around. A lot of those companies, they will go under the companies that are featured there, which is a good thing, right? That's how innovation happens. The same is true for Product Hunt or even venture-backed companies. So it's part of experimenting and trying new things. So again, this is going to be difficult because we're you know, talking the abstract, but maybe if you can give some examples of metrics that startups can use to track the success of a launch. It depends on the purposes, but from what you've seen, from what you've done personally, and also from what you've seen with your customers that have seen successful launches, what are some of those key metrics that you want to be looking out for? I think this does vary a little bit when you're talking about like coming out of stealth launch versus when you're talking about like launching a product within an existing company. Ultimately, the biggest piece of advice I have is measure against the real business metrics that you care about. Like There are so many companies that what they'll do, especially when they're launching a product or a feature into an existing company, is they'll just look at adoption. And they'll just like, how many people actually like use the feature that we shipped. And that's not really a helpful metric. All that tells you is, okay, we were pretty good at communicating that this thing exists and we got a couple of people to try it out. The reason that you're building products or features is because you're trying to move some important business metric. You're trying to improve retention. You're trying to improve activation rates. You're trying to improve revenue per user because you're getting more cross-sell into a new product. So you should be measuring those things and looking at incrementality. How did those things move up or down pre and post launch? Sometimes that incrementality is going to take the form of just a raw increase in the number. Sometimes that incrementality is going to take the form of an increase in the velocity of it. So you may see an increase in rate over time. So you need to be looking at those business metrics. Um, some other things that companies should be paying attention to on this is, especially when you're start to get bigger and you're launching products into existing companies, you should be looking at internal effectiveness. So going back to that internal comms element, measure internal NPS, do a quick post-launch retro survey to all the different teams that are involved in that launch process, get feedback from sales, support, etc. How enabled did they feel to be able to promote that thing that got shipped? And then when you're talking about launching new companies, you know, obviously the biggest things that you're looking for like signups, retention, and activation rate, as well as probably revenue. But one other area that you can look at is look at brand metrics. This is going to be tough depending on how small your launch is. If you end up doing a fairly large launch into a fairly small focused market where you can pretty easily go and collect this response, you can go do aided awareness and purchase intent surveys among those people and start to look at how well did you actually penetrate that market with your message. But you know, by and large, when you're launching out of stealth, you're typically just looking at like how many signups do we drive? How did that actually translate to real, consistent, ongoing usage and truly active users? And then what percentage of those are actually converting into paid users? Yeah, absolutely. I'll add to that just a specific tactic around measuring brand awareness and using Google search terms. So people searching for your brand. Yep. Obviously, it depends on the brand name that you have and how generic or how 
you know, closely it aligns with other searches, but that can be used as a proxy for just general awareness. The other thing that you mentioned really on point around not just looking at the adoption of the tool of the feature, but looking at the metrics that will matter to your business long-term, because especially on these platforms, whether it's Product Hunt or South by Southwest, these are early adopters, right? So we're the folks that will try everything once, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you can build a business around this, right? Because we're there for the novelty, we're there to check it out. And if you don't have any sort of staying power, if you're not solving that core need for me as your ideal customer profile, then you know it's really hard to build a business around that. So measuring beyond that first activation of what are they actually doing? What are you solving for them? Getting some qualitative feedback in that process as well to truly understand that and build off of that. There's some really good points there. Yeah. And one way of doing that, like touching on the name of the podcast, I think Sean Ellis kind of popularized a pretty good framework for doing post-launch kind of surveys to your customer base of asking them oh, how upset would you be if whatever product you're shipping were taken away from you. And you know, you're gunning for 40 plus percent of people basically saying that they you know, would be very upset if that product were taken away. It's a good measure of whether or not that thing is actually sticky and delivering value for folks. It's funny that you mentioned that Sean came up with that. Most people attribute it to Rahul, myself including, uh, Rahul from, from Superhuman. But I think that Sean actually is the first one to develop that specific verbiage in the questionnaire. Yeah, Rahul like kind of co-opted it and turned it into Superhuman's yeah. whole brand for a little while. I mean, it's been around for yeah. a lot longer than Superhuman. It, that's been around since back in my old days of being a marketer in 2010. I think Sean Ellis originally coined it. Yeah, well... Credit where credit's due, right? Can you give any examples of just out-of-the-box or cool launches that any of your customers have done? Or just something that you've seen that really stood out to you as interesting? Um, one, that, one that does kind of like jump out at me and has always been one that I've like admired was actually when Snapchat actually launched Snap Spectacles. I think it's like one of the better launches that I've seen in tech. And I know it's like a physical product, so it's a little bit different. There's some more kind of cool activation stuff that you can do around that. But you know, they basically did some very creative work on the tactical front to get a lot of like organic earned media and buzz going. So they basically did these drops back before drops were a thing. Like now drops have kind of become old hat with the whole web three space and whatnot. But you know, they basically physically dropped Snap Spectacle kiosks all over LA and a couple of other major markets and basically had a limited number of Snap Spectacles available for you know people who came and got them first. So what they were able to do is they were able to basically tap into like who are the most engaged, excited people about this concept because they're going to go out of their way and go find these things, and they're also probably the most likely to pressure test them. They're also the most likely to actually go and talk about that stuff on social media and everywhere else. And it was just a pretty unique thing that not a lot of other companies had done at that point. I think it got them a ton of earned media. They, I don't think, spent a lot on that launch aside from the actual production of the product. So it was pretty effective with pretty minimal effort, I think, on their part, you know, relative to how big the company was at the time. Really interesting company. And people don't think of them as like an AR company, but they really are um, yep. in the augmented reality space. So we'll see where that goes. We can't really talk about launches without talking about Apple. So I'll just kind of throw it at you. Is there anything that startups can learn from the way that Apple does product launches? Apple, they're obviously the masters of this stuff. And this is one of the things that I saw at PlayStation as well. Is the big difference between the way that like Apple launches things and the way that 
most software companies launch things. And Apple is a software company as well. Keep that in mind. They're shipping their own you know, updates to iOS. Is that they do annual planning cycles. They're basically doing really big launches, like once, twice, three times a year for the specific products that they're shipping. And what that allows them to do is to do all the research to make sure that they actually have insight-informed plans and the way that they're communicating those products. It also allows them to have the rigor around crafting really compelling positioning and messaging and testing that messaging before they actually go out and make a big splashy announcement with it. And then also they're turning those things into these really powerful singular moments that they're able to organize media around so that everybody's paying attention to it at the same time. And it really breaks through all the noise of everything else that's going on out in the world at that point. And you don't have to be gigantic like Apple to do that. And you also don't need to do annual planning cycles. You can do this as long as you just have a little bit of advanced planning around these launches. And it also makes sure that everybody across their company is really well orchestrated around this. The second that they start those announcements, you have web pages flipping live, you have emails going out, you have salespeople starting to hit the phones and start talking to their accounts on the B2B side about the thing that just got announced. All of that stuff happens right when the announcement goes out. So for customers, it feels like Apple is just everywhere and they are being bombarded with nothing but that announcement. It seems like the most important thing in the world to them at that point. And it's a really coherent media strategy where they have integrated campaigns going out where they're you know, hitting you with ads at the same time that you're seeing the news articles at the same time that's being harvested in you know, search. So that if you go search for that thing, it shows up as the first result in search. So at the end of the day, it's that they are really coordinated. And that is something that you can do even if you're doing continuous releases, even if you're a smaller team that doesn't have the resources to spend a ton on big splashy events and advertising. It's more about just how well have you planned and orchestrated this thing and turned it into a moment. Yeah, the coordination piece, I think, is critical, as you mentioned. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about growth. What other tactics or channels have you employed to grow Ignition? Yeah, so we've been pretty light on the amount of like marketing effort that we've done. Most of it has come from these couple of launches, partly because that's a branding reinforcement for us and the importance of launching. But we also do a little bit of outbound email. So we've set up some automation around basically reaching out to our customer base. Outbound, we have done some very lightweight Google search advertising, which is really more for message testing purposes than anything, just to be able to split test different audiences or different search terminology as well as different messages and see which ones are converting at the highest rate helps us kind of zero in on what the right story to tell is. Beyond that, it's a lot of community posting. You know, we've gone and been fairly active in Product Marketing Alliance's community since day one. We've been fairly active in a couple of other like product management communities and just responding to people's questions, mostly just trying to be helpful more so than going out and pushing the product too much. We've spun up a bit of a content program, but haven't really invested in the distribution side of it enough yet to have it be a real meaningful source of like inbound and SEO. But we plan on that being a pretty important channel for us over the coming months and years. On content specifically or SEO or leveraging content on other channels as well? Can you elaborate on that? I think realistically, um, one of the benefits that we have as a product is there's so much surface area to the product. 
there's lots of elements of it that we can carve out as standalone SEO drivers and, and free tools that we can hand out. So, you know, we're eventually probably going to release, for example, a, you know, tool around helping to generate positioning statements once we start rolling some of the AI tooling for that out and just surface that as a SEO driver on the site. But also using content to publish into these communities, making sure that you know we're being the kind of the real definitive authority for go to market and how you build out launch processes. So you know we're going to be investing in content across the gamut, both from how do you generate top funnel SEO traffic, how do you use content from a thought leadership perspective to help shape the narrative around what go to market really is and what best practices look like. And then also, how do we use free tools as mechanisms for getting people to engage with us and drive lead capture as well? Very good. You, you mentioned some of the AI tools. How do you see that changing the content marketing landscape? It's already changing it pretty drastically. I think most marketers, are, when it comes to content, are going to almost just end up becoming operators of AI. And we're going to be more kind of the strategic arm and relying on tools like GPT-3 to generate most of the content itself. It's still not perfect. And it's still at a point where right now, you know, I think if you're using AI copywriting tools to generate content, you're getting content that's okay, but it's already being penalized by search algorithms. It still needs a lot of human touch in order to make it like 10x and differentiated and content that's really likely to rank highly. But it's incredibly good when you need to generate a massive amount of volume around, you know, like say you need 500 variants of an ad because you want to be able to do a bunch of message testing. It's great at doing that. I, I think over time, we're going to start to see more and more weaving of the content creation tools married to tools that inform that through strategy and research. So you know, you're going to start to see end-to-end -end AI tools where they can look at all of your customer insights that are gathered from all your support tickets and everywhere else, summarize that into segmented thematics of what messaging resonates with people, translate that into outlines of what does a content strategy look like that might lean on this message to capture interests, and then take it one step further and actually create that content itself. So I think that whole workflow is going to eventually get very automated. And it's probably going to be sooner than we think too. It's already getting pretty pretty nifty. And I think one, two more year cycles out, uh, you know, GPT-4, GPT-5, you're going to start seeing those kind of use cases really get solved well. Well, GPT-4 will have released most likely prior to airing this episode. So I'm excited to see what that can do. It's pretty amazing. And you're yep. incorporating those features in the product, right? You're incorporating some AI generation tools and other AI-enabled capabilities within the product, right? Yeah, we are. We've had AI copywriting baked into the product for a while. So you can actually generate a variety of different asset formats straight out of the product, same as you could with any AI copywriting tool like Jasper or Copy.ai. Upcoming, we're going to be providing insight summarization, kind of like what I was talking about, where you'll be able to import all of your customer insights from support tickets from your CRM, from elsewhere and get segmented thematics on what features should you be building based off of those insights, what messaging should you be using based off of those insights. So we'll start to generate some of that for you automatically. We're eventually going to get to the point where we can actually help generate real strategy for you as well. So we'll be able to take external sources like, for example, competitive review scores and tell you those competitors are good and bad at how you can position against them in order to more effectively sell. 
And then the last bit that we're working on right now is the ability for you to basically have a more queryable knowledge base. So when you're talking about that internal enablement problem and how do you get information to people, a salesperson can come in and ask a very you know basic natural language question, like, how do I talk about the payroll product to a CFO? And we'll spit out a messaging guide based off of your actual strategic documentation and roadmap that includes what key assets to share, what are the talking points, what's changed in the product recently that they may care about, all without them having to let them figure out how to marry their question to however the marketer who created that stuff was thinking about it and labeled it as positioning when the salesperson's not asking the question about positioning. Very cool. Very cool. Looking a little farther out, what's the grand vision for the company? We want to be the central hub where basically all product and go-to-market planning is done. And we want to be the place that product management teams and product marketing teams are living for all their day-to-day work. We're the, the kind of source of truth for the company on what product has been built and why it was built and how do you talk about it. I think end goal is to really be essentially like the Salesforce equivalent for product and marketing teams in the same way that Rippling is now that for employee management and Salesforce and HubSpot are that for sales. I like it. Well, good luck with that vision. Uh, Derek, this is all fascinating stuff. Thank you for sharing your journey and also your insights on product launches. We're getting near the end of our time here. So we'd like to move into an exciting lightning round. How does that sound to you? Sounds great. All right. What's one book, podcast, or newsletter do you find yourself recommending most often? I love Strategery by Ben Thompson. It's just consistent gold. It's shaped a lot of my thinking over the years around tech as a whole. And I know he talks mostly about like public companies, but there's a ton of those learnings that are very applicable to early stage startups as well. So it's by far my favorite. Yeah, really good insights there. What's a common misconception people have about you? Whatever they think that a product marketer is, (laughs) it's just consistent. Like, you know, companies have poorly defined product marketing. And so, you know, a lot of companies that I go into that prior to starting Ignition, obviously, but, you know, any companies that I would go into, they would think that, oh, you're like the guy who writes copy. And I'm like, no, I don't really do copywriting. Like, sometimes I'll do it as part of my job. That's not really what product marketing is all about. Whatever anybody thinks product marketing is, is probably wrong. (laughs) So, next question What is a product marketer? What does a product marketer do? Product marketing is functionally the process of commercialization. It's like, how do you figure out how to take a new thing, position it, message it, introduce it to a new market, and then optimize its growth over time? That encompasses a whole lot of stuff. But the simplest way for people to wrap their head around it tends to be it's the equivalent of what a product manager is for the build process of the product. It's that for the marketing and sales portion of the product. Yeah, but it is a squishy term. and. I personally have had multiple roles as VP of product and marketing and been responsible for both. So when I say it to people, they assume it's like, oh, you product marketing. I'm like, no, that's not really, you know, that's a specific discipline. That's not really what I do. It's a combination of both. But yeah. What's uh, one piece of terrible advice that you've received in your career? It's a good question. Probably people telling me to go work for big companies. (laughs) So you're regretting that time at PlayStation? Not really. I had a blast, but I think pace of learning is just higher when you're outside of larger organizations. I, I loved my time there. Don't get me wrong. And you know, there are benefits to being at you know big companies. You get paid more. It's you know a little more stable, et cetera, et cetera. But I think I really deeply value rate of change and pace of learning, and I think that just exists at a much higher level when you're outside of larger orgs where you're a bit more of a cog. 
It was more yeah. terrible advice at a personal level, more so than terrible advice in aggregate because it's everybody's different there and what they're optimizing for. Right. That's always in context, but yeah, I would uh, resonate with that. Very cool. Derek, um, how can people get in touch with you if they want to continue the conversation and any final words of advice or anything you want to share with us? Yeah, totally. So best way to get in touch, if you want to check out Ignition and sign up for Ignition is haveignition.com is the website. We have a free trial or a freemium model. So you can go use the product all you want. And the best way to get in touch with me is probably either via LinkedIn or my direct email is derek at haveignition.com. Um, and I always love hearing from folks. Amazing. I'll put all those links in the show notes. Definitely encourage people to check it out. Derek has been really interesting, enlightening, and love to learn more about your company. Enjoyed it. Thank you for your time. And I hope to stay in touch. Wishing you lots of success. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. This is a, a fun chat. <laughs> That's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation and hope you did too. Either way, I'd love to hear your feedback. So hit me up via email at hello at pmfpod.com or find me on LinkedIn or Twitter to tell me what you thought of the show, how we can make it better, or specific guests that you think I should have on. Make sure to hit that follow or subscribe button so you get notified when we release new episodes. We've got some great episodes coming up that you won't want to miss. If you love this podcast and want to help us spread the word, please leave a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you love to listen and share it on social media. It really does help. And finally, don't forget to check out growth.co, that's growthwithoutthe.co, if you're considering a fractional CMO for your startup. Until next time, wishing you rocket ship success in your startup journey.